Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Mark 12, 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word. Meet me in that passage that she just read, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Mark 12, 28 through 34. I would like to say, Bini I did not know you were sitting there. One of our uh, missionary families from Romania is sitting in the second row. You might make me cry, and I hadn't even started talking yet. <clears throat> um, grab one more thing. As my dad would say, I have a a lot of para and finalia up here with me today. Who knows what I'll bust out and what I'll leave alone. <clears throat> but I wanted to make sure I had it here just in case the spirit moves. Well, I uh, wanted, wanted you to know this. Some of you weren't with us then. Some of you were still... Um, in a semi-quarantine, maybe. Uh, some of you just hadn't visited here before. Some of you lived in a different state uh, in January of 2022, and now you are here. Um, but we began this year uh, as a church with a three-part mini-series to kick off the year called Wholehearted. And it seems like, and you heard this a lot as we were going through the summer even, it seems like the themes were, gosh, we just all feel a little bit of this mild, we wake up with this default mode of a mild or now increasingly major discontent. There's something off. Um, we feel exhausted and we feel, uh, as I've said often, uh, like a Waffle House order, scattered, smothered, covered. Um, but one of the things we talked about there was um, there's a false... Uh, there's a myth that we often grab hold of is the idea of when we're exhausted, what we need is just to be left alone and to just get a bunch of time away. Now, time away is important. It is. But the answer to exhaustion is actually not pulling away, not isolating, not just getting out of the people I just can't even with anymore. The answer to exhaustion, actually, biblically, is wholeheartedness. The pull, the exhaustion we often feel is because the parts of us are flying in all kinds of directions, is what I'm saying. And so I tell you that because we began the year, and yet 
uh, here we are. We're going to address that very same thing because this is kind of our mid-year checkup. And like, maybe you're like me and that whenever I'm supposed to have a checkup, it never gets quite as early. I, I delay them, right? So this is a little bit of a delayed mid-year, but it's perfect because we are starting the fall. Next week, we'll begin a, 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 a series uh, for the rest of the fall in, in Luke's gospel and looking forward to that. Um, but today is, 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 is kind of our mid-year uh, check-in as well as a way to reorient, God to reorient us as we move into the fall. Because even if you're not in school and hadn't been in school for decades, there's something about the beginning of the school year, the beginning of the fall, you're like, even if I was just down in the dumps, I kind of have just a small glimmer of, hey, let's get going in the right direction again. I think God put that in us. And so what I hope today would be uh, of help to that. So if this is our checkup mid-year, we're looking at our heart health, if you will, our spiritual life. How are you doing? How are you right now doing? Um, some of us might say, I'm fine. I'm great. I'm hashtag I'm mowing. That's what young people say. I also will get in trouble later at home for throwing that out there. But some of us will say that. We'll say, fine, great. You know, everything's, everything's awesome. And yet many more will actually, and, and I've had lots of conversations about this, when people are willing to peel back the curtain a little bit, or like in a doctor's appointment when they peel you back and they put you up on the screen and say, well, here's what we see. But many of, many of you, I've had conversations with you, would say things like, I just, I just feel this malaise. I, I, I feel distracted. Like I can't quite concentrate. I feel numb. I feel bored. I just like, I don't know what it is. Like I feel this loss of energy. And I'm not just talking about the old folks. I'm talking about people in their twenties. I'm trafficking with our young adults and they'll say some of those same things. Now they got a lot way more energy than old man, buddy, but you feel that some of you, that may be where you are today. Uh, Others uh, would say they may not use the term disoriented, but they'd say, you know what, man, I, just, I can't put my finger on it, but I, I'm just confused. I, I feel aimless. Um, I, feel like, I, f- I feel like I kind of lost my way. I've lost confidence. I'm not sure how to even make this. I, 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 I'm not even sure how to make decisions anymore. Many of us are in that place, disoriented. Some of us is kind of the combo of all those is, like I said, the Waffle House, we feel pulled so many activities in our own life and then each kid's life. And then if each kid like we have, even though we've reduced from five to three in our household of boys, we still have three schools. That means three circles of parent meetings and sports meetings. You just feel scattered and pulled. And as one author I've read would say, you, you add on to that. Uh, how much attention we give to social media, to trying to keep up with all those networks, trying to keep up with networks we really, I mean, we're wasting our time keeping up with. And they described it as, it's a self-induced frenetic shallowness. Many of us feel that. Many of us live each day now 
and we know it. We couldn't put our finger on it, but that would describe where, how you live each day. Frenetic shallowness. Busy, busy, busy. But man, there's not a whole lot of depth of me in anywhere, and I feel like I'm, I'm going shallower and shallower. And then also, if we're honest, many of us, ironically, an increasingly personalized world, it feels more impersonal. We feel more lonely than we've ever known, though we're more connected than we've ever been. And I've heard people say, say this at times, talking about that, the pace and the, the loneliness. I feel like I may come apart. Now, I would put on that, we've talked about there's a disorientation, there's a malaise of distractions, but I would say when we feel like, if you feel like, I'm not sure how much longer I can do this, I feel like I may come apart, I would put the word disintegrating on it, which means instead of integrated, whole, it's scattered every which away, disintegrating. In fact, um, and I want you to put this slide up. Um, a book called Parts by Ted Arnold. Uh, I highly recommend this for adults as well. But my mom being a librarian, also a storyteller, um, she knows authors across the country, and she got us a signed copy of this, I think, before Nathan was born. We didn't know his name, so it was like to Egbert, and then it was the name. And that thing is, you know, almost barely holding together, but I'll take it to Olson Elementary where our kids go, and I'll read it when they were in kindergarten and stuff. Andrew wouldn't want me to do this with our sixth grade, his sixth grade friend. But the book is called Parts. And it's, it's from the perspective of a kid who doesn't, hasn't yet experienced and has no knowledge of how you grow and things develop and your hair and your skin, and it's just the parts of you. Um, and he goes, I just don't know what's going on or why it has to be. But he can tell there's something, something that's happening to me. And he describes when he skins his toes, and it, he's like, are my toes going to fall off? And then all of that, okay? So he keeps describing this um, gosh, I feel like my stuffing's coming out, and there's this picture of his guts, but they're cotton balls coming out of him. All of this from a kid's perspective. And then he gets to this page. As you can see, he is frenetic himself. He's in a panic because he doesn't understand why he feels like his parts are going away or they're, they're going to fall apart. He says, the glue that holds our parts together isn't holding me. That's some biblical stuff. If we were to say, Lord, as I hear Mark 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. One thing we're not supposed to do, just tell you this, we are going to describe heart, soul, mind, strength. But it's not like catalog yourself. Now, what's your heart doing this fall? Now, what's your mind like? That just describes all the aspects of personhood that are never meant to be parts that are not holding together, but actually to bring the faculties of mind, to embody the faith, to have our heart pulsate for the things of God and what matters most. It's a unifying deal. And so, as I ask, how are you doing? 
If you go to a doctor, they can give you treatments, but if they give you treatments, but they haven't diagnosed what's going on with you, the treatments do no good. And I tell our boys this all the time, but the key to life, the key to leading anything, the key to making decisions is not having the silver bullet answer, but it's asking the key or right questions. And today, we're going to be confronted with, that's what we need. If we feel distracted, if we feel confused and disoriented, and particularly, I think all of those can lead to this feeling of just that pulled, scattered, disintegrating. The glue that holds our parts together isn't holding much longer. We know it. We feel it. Then asking the key question, well, why is that? And what is that glue? What's the unifying principle? What's, what's the key to life, really? In fact, I would say this. We won't divide heart, soul, mind, and strength because that are all aspects of personhood. It's, it's interesting how impersonal our personalized world has become. We are diminishing as persons. I don't have time to um, expectorate all on you that is flowing through me over the last several months, just marinating in this passage, reading on things happening right now. I've got a couple of those books up here. But for sure, just like your doctor says, well, let's ask, why is this, why are you pulled? Why are you, why, are, why is there malaise? Why do you feel like you've lost your way? And the question would be, how do I find my way back? How do I reorient my life? How do, Lord, how in the world could this life that feels so scattered and pulled and outpacing me, what I can keep up with, how can it be pulled together? And that will bring us to the question, which I have, the, the sermon title is the reorienting question. It's what this scribe asked. And so I want to, next slide is, I want us to get the context of the question. Lindsay's already read the passage. We'll go back through it. But the context and the question, the question that can help reorient you and me, can help pull our parts back together, can help redirect us, reorient us in the right direction. The context is in Mark 12, uh, Mark 11 is the chapter where Jesus enters Jerusalem for his final week. Um, he had, you know, he cursed a fig tree and he, uh, he's been interacting with folks in the streets. He's got his disciples with him. But where we are is middle of the week. We're a couple of days-ish from when Jesus will be betrayed. Then he'll go through a kangaroo court, a bogus court. Uh, he'll be sentenced. He'll be crucified. He will die. He will be buried, and then he will be raised again. We're in the middle of that week, and he's in the temple courts. And if you look at the end of Mark 11 through where we are in um, just a little bit forward, because now after this section, Jesus will actually initiate with some questions. But he's being peppered with some Q&A from, he faces questions from, the, um, the Pharisees and the Herodians, by the way, we're not going to, we don't have time for it. Those guys hated each other, but they had a common enemy in Jesus. So there's an amazing unifying factor that happens there. And so 
Um, they're peppering him with questions about, well, where's, what's the source of your authority? Where, who, who are you to say these things? They're trying to discredit him, and there's very much, they're hostile. They have a hostile and sinister intent with peppering these questions in the courts of the temple, knowing that the people are looking at them as their Jewish leaders, but they're very intrigued if they've already heard Jesus teaching or they've seen him heal or whatever. They're there going, we're wondering that too. And Jesus masterfully, gently, and humbly, but also straightforwardly, nails each question as it comes along. Sometimes, but just by asking a question, and then they're like, oh, we'll move on to another topic. But the one right before our section, he, has, um, he not only con, um, confronted the Pharisees and the Herodians, but in the right before us, the Sadducees, who really were like, eh, we're out on this whole resurrection idea and Jesus talks to them about that. In verse 28 now, again, middle of his last week, he's in Jerusalem. He's in the temple courts where the Passover, we're there for the Passover. The sacrifices are going to be made. That's the context. That's the place. That's the setting where this scribe asked. In verse 28, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. What he was talking about in the, the paragraph before. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? This is the key question. This is the key question for you and for me that can reorient our lives. Or should we reject it, can see us, harden our hearts, Live for ourselves, but it'll never pull you back together. Your life will not make sense. And it's a way that seems right to man, but its end is ruin. It's the key question. What is the question? Which commandment is the most important of all? This is a scribe. Think uh, he's most likely a Pharisee. We don't know that for sure, but most likely the scribes, or some of your translations may say lawyer, they were experts in the law. They marinated in the law. They studied the law. They interpreted the law. There were 613 commands in the Old Testament scriptures, and they would have debates about, they would study and, and present uh, their thoughts on all 613, both positive commands and negative commands, these things to avoid or don't do. 613. Why do you think it was so attractive when Jesus said, Come unto me, all, who you are, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because they were under leaders who rightfully, out of a good, good desire, were seeking to obey these commands, but they put even more on top of them to make sure you didn't disobey the ones who were already in place. In fact, I've heard... Um, one, fo uh, one person say that um, as a scribe like this would do, they would help interpret the law and give you ways to apply it. And that there, there are so many of those um, that they, they built a 16-volume, think like some of the books in my library, if you've seen them, are like that big. 16 of them of interpretations and applications of the 613 commands. Feel exhausted? That's the way the people in Jesus' time, that's why I come to me and I will give you rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you. What's he saying? The yoke is I'm being trained and underneath your leadership and following what you say and your teaching. 
That's what that in that context. But he's asking which of these is the greatest. Some of your translations say foremost. Some of yours say most important. Here's what they would debate all the time. 613, I mean, they can't all be the same weight. So which one is heavier? Which one is lighter? Or which ones are lighter? That's what he's asking. Of all the commands, which ones have the, should carry the most weight or most essential or maybe um, the one that undergird all the other commands? They're kind of the, the trunk and then the branches go out. He's saying, which one is the heavier? Now, opposed to the other times, in Matthew's account, it'll say that they're trying to test him, and I think that's in the middle of the context. There is some element, it seems, that this scribe actually was asking a sincere question. It doesn't seem that he has quite the sinister, you know, approach. And yet it's still mixed in with that. He's still in league with these guys, so we don't know for sure. But at least in how Jesus responds to him and how he responds to Jesus, there's some aspect of a, of a sincere question. I say all that to say that's what the context is. Now, what was Jesus' answer? Look at the next verse, next couple of verses. Jesus answered, The weightier, the most important, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. In Matthew's account, he says, and on these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, these are the biggies and everything else comes from them or hangs on them. They are the weightier. They are the foundational. Notice he asks, what is the greatest, um, which commandment, singular? And Jesus says, well, I'm going to give you the commandment. It's kind of one with two parts to it, two aspects. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, he's going to say, we don't have time to spend on it today, but we're going through Luke, which is all about loving your neighbor, or a big part, part of it is. He adds, hey, you can't, this is inseparable. Loving God spills out into love of neighbor. And when uh, the temperature of, of how we love neighbor or don't, our hostility or our hospitality, whatever that is toward our neighbor, that gives us a good gauge of where we are in our love for God. You cannot separate the two. The other thing I want you to notice, and Jesus has every right to do it. He has the authority to do it. I want, I'm going to take you back. If you'll turn to Deuteronomy 6, it'll also be on the screen. But Jesus actually adds... I'll, I'll read Deuteronomy 6 and just He adds mind. I think that's interesting because this scribe, what was he known for? What was he employed for? Using his mind. Using his mind. Now, it's, it's, there, there are only three aspects in Deuteronomy, but the mind is still in there. Again, because it's not like, well, let's, are there only four parts of me or seven parts? And how do I do each part? The whole idea is it's the whole self devoted to God. But I find it fascinating, even empathetic and compassionate of Jesus to say, love him with all your mind and strength. 
And then later, as he's going to affirm the scribe's answer, or as the, the scribe affirms Jesus' answer, the scribe actually leaves some stuff out as well from what Jesus said. And it's interesting, even from his makeup, uh, what he answers. But look at Deuteronomy 6. I'm just going to fall off the screen. This is from the Shema. The word Shema in Hebrew means hear, but it always has the idea of hear and obey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. When he says the Lord is one, he's saying he is the unique one and only creator God. For them, Yahweh was the covenant-keeping name of God, the one who delivered them out of bondage in Egypt. The context in Deuteronomy is they are already a redeemed people by the grace of God, pulling them out of slavery, and now you are mine, and therefore you be holy as I am holy. He's as much saying, you be unique and set apart because I've set you apart from the other nations because I am like no other God. And this is a reminder of the holiness, the otherness of God, the uniqueness of God. There is no rival, there is no one like him. Therefore, there is no one worthy of your allegiance. He says, love him. Love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The heart, uh, scripturally, is is the command center uh, of us. We're driven and drawn by desire. We're drawn to beauty. We're shaped by our thoughts and emotions. It's where we make decisions. It's where our oomph is for life. That's our heart. And God wants us to love him with an undivided heart, an unrivaled allegiance and love for him, affection for him. Soul, that is our interior selves. Um, John Mark Comer says this. He says, we, um, we talk about it as if we have a soul. He says, no, no, we are a soul. It is, it is who you are in your inner person. Uh, Old Testament-wise, the word is nephesh. It's translated these ways. Soul, uh, that inner man, also throat, appetite. It's that earthiness of us, and it's also that inner part of us that God made to, to relate with him. So you have heart with all your soul. And then here he says, with all your might. The word is maod. The word means this. Some of your translations may say, I don't know, it probably all say might on Deuteronomy for your translations. But the word may ode, you can even translate it as with all your muchness. Love God with all your heart, that control center where you make decisions, where your emotions, your desires, that fuel within you, with all your soul. There's, there's, there's the idea again, you are a soul. That, that the embodied earthiness of you in connection with God, you're just giving him your oomph with all your muchness, whatever capacities he has given you. If he's made you brilliant in, in analytics and mathematics, accounting, then love him with all your Muchness, you beavers, counting all those little beans. 
Sorry, I'm not making fun of you. I love you. I need you because all the beans would be spilled if I was in charge, I was in charge of it. If you are uh, winsome, you're warm, then love him with all your muchness. Don't hold back, he's saying. Why? Because there's no one else like him. He is your redeemer God. He's your covenant-keeping God, and he's worthy, not just of a little token of affection, not just a little, hey, when it's convenient for me, I'll kind of give you a nod. Love him with all your muchness. Another way you could say it, because loving is also worshiping, which means to declare his worth. It's make much of him with all your muchness. Frankly, that will help us pull us together, have a much better orientation about what life is all about so that we are not, like Shakespeare said, much to do about nothing. Which is, again, any other rival pursuit is a much ado about nothing. It will empty us and shallow us. And frankly, that's part of what I was describing at first. We are growing more and more incapacitated to be the persons as God's image bearers he's called us to be. The invitation isn't feel guilty about this. The invitation isn't in the doctor's examining room to go, I need to get more information about that. Sure, yes, about whatever ails you. But we don't just study it and think, oh, I learned a term. I've learned more medical terms, I feel like, in the last couple of years. It's do something. It's follow through with all your muchness. It's an invitation to the person God created you to be, to honor him in the ways he designed you, in the place he's put you, with the people that are right in front of your face. Turn back to Mark. Now, the scribe affirms Jesus. Verse 32, and the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. <laughs> you have truly said that he is one, and that there's no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one neighbor as oneself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's interesting that he left out the soul part. Now, I think that's in and the understanding and strength. I'm not trying to nitpick at this guy, but I do think Jesus said, love him with all your mind. And that guy says, man, I can dial in with that. But maybe if that's all he did was fill his mind, fill his mind, fill his mind, take notes, take notes, take notes, study, study, study. But he never really let it get into the recesses of his inner man. Maybe his soul was a little shriveled. In fact, because he didn't actually know the Lord right in front of him, it had to have been diminished in many ways. And then notice, where does he say this? Where does he affirm him? You're right. This is, it's more than, this is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. As the scribe, as the scribe is hearing Jesus say, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbors yourself. This is it. It's, it's as if you can imagine that the scribe gets a sniff of the sacrifices that are taking place right nearby. And he can look around and he can see the blood, can see the carnage, can smell, can smell the smoke. 
Sorry, some of you are about ready for lunch. You can smell the burnt ends. Now I got to go to, no, I'm, I'm not eating barbecue today. Um, that's where he says it. Wildly, this one who spends his whole life trying to keep it, trying to make sure that people know here's how to apply the law, and sacrifices were a big part of them, particularly in fostering their fellowship with the living God who redeemed them. Confessing sin and saying, you're worth my all, here's my bull, here's my turtle doves, whatever it was. He says, it's almost as if he's saying, you know what, you're right. And if, if we could be about that, if we could love God with all our muchness, we could love our neighbor as ourselves. I mean, this doesn't even have to go on. These sacrifices, that's not what God's after. What does David say? Those aren't the things you want, but a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. He says, man, if we could do that, a lot of life will become unified. A lot of those commands that we find burdensome, all of a sudden, out of love for God, the God who initiated first, and loved me out of responsive love to him. He gets my muchness. All of a sudden, how I handle my finances is how he says I should handle them. How I forgive that person at work who just annoys me to no end and I feel like is always out to get rid of me from the job or, you know, undercut me so they get the promotion. I can forgive them as Christ has forgiven me. If we could love God with all our muchness and love our neighbors ourselves, we're on the way. And then those things we say, Lord, teach me, direct me, reorient me to follow your better way. Because you are God. You have my whole heart. Therefore, every aspect, every decision, every relationship, every priority of my life will find itself under you. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, look what he says. Hey, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. I feel like this is always with Jesus. But Jesus' reorienting answer to that question that can help us all reorient. What, what, What are... What is the priority? What's the priority relationship of my life that then everything else gets informed by? It silences his resistors and rejectors. They don't ask him any more questions. But it intrigues. It draws out those who are sincerely saying, I, you got my curiosity. I still got part of me held back, but I'm I'm moving that direction, or I'm moving that way wholeheartedly, but I don't really, some, some of us are like, I don't really know what I'm getting myself into, but I gotta be with you. But he says, you're not far, but not far is not in. Here's what I love about the gospel writers and other writers in the New Testament. We don't know what happened to him. We do know he wasn't in yet. He may have four sentences later, fell to his feet and and says, you are Messiah. You're the one I've been waiting for, trying to study for. You're it. I give my life to you. I trust you. He may have. We don't know. 
Because I think the writers often leave that hanging to say, really, the question comes back to us. And some of you in this room, you may be there. You've been leaning in. You've, you've got, you, maybe you came here with a friend. Maybe you've been just wanting to check things out. And you're like, there's something I can't put my finger on. Yeah, what's going on in my life. But I definitely want something to pull life together. And this Jesus does intrigue me. And he would, he would invite you. Keep drawing near. Keep drawing near. Keep seeking me. You'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart, when you open up your life and receive me and receive my gift of taking your place on the cross. He says that's where this question actually helps us get to where life begins. It's first in being reconciled to God. Because of our sin, we don't deserve a relationship with him, but Jesus, who lived this perfectly, laid down his life for you and for me. For every sin you have committed and will commit, he says, I willingly and for the joy set before me to honor the Father and to step in your place and die your death so that you can have my life. He said, that's who I am and that's why I came. And all you got to do is receive it. All you got to do is put the weight of your life on the only one who could bear it. And he did bear it for you just like he bore and when he bore your sin on the cross. But many of us in here, that's that's not where we are. The question would be, if being disintegrating isn't how God designed us and we feel the effects of it, if disorientation, confusion, frenetic shallowness, all those things, then then it begs the question for us. Again, I could have said, what is the great commandment? 75% 75% of you would have said, love God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, love your neighbors yourself. But there might be some indicator that though that's plain and we know it, we may, we may not have been embodying it lately, or we may not have been growing in embodying it, in living out, Lord, I love you. Lord, I'm devoted to you with my whole heart, with my whole soul, with all my muchness. I bet before today you weren't saying with all my muchness, but I hope you never forget that because when I read that, then I heard it again, then I heard it again. I'm like, man, that speaks my language. You start giving me things like sanctification. I don't know what to do, but muchness, yes, I'm in. Or oomphness. So here's the command. Uh, Last slide. Jesus, the key question, yeah, it's what's the great commandment, the weightier one, where to put the weight of your life in the direction orient the direction of your life, put at the center, foundationally, primarily, the priority and overarching priority relationship of your life be God, to love him with all your muchness and love your neighbors yourself. That confronts us with this question. Are you or how are you developing or diminishing your capacities to love God and love your neighbor? Because that's there are aspects of our personhood, heart, soul, mind, and strength. But each of those also has sort of categories of the capacities God has put in you. And you don't have to love him with the capacities of somebody else. He says, love me with all your muchness. Love me with your mind. Love me with your soul, with your heart, with your strength. And the question is, because nobody's standing still. Are you developing 
in your capacity to love God and love your neighbor, or are you diminishing? I'm going to try to give us at least two uh, helps toward that end. The first thing I want to say, um, if you adults are feeling it, your kids are for sure feeling it. Disintegration. Isolation. Confusion, disorientation, distraction. If you want a good question, a good, how can I move in the direction of stewarding the shepherding of my own children? And if this is what life is all about, because it is, then the question for me and for you as parents is, how am I helping to develop the capacities within my children, their capacities to love God with all their muchness. And a protective question of that, that should be where you give your oomph, but then an awareness deal, a radar up for is, and what are the ways that I'm not helping them where there are things they give their attention to that diminish their capacities to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and with all their strength. Because I want to say this, you're a kid in here, that means you're fifth grade and up, you're a student. We know, and we need to acknowledge that this has been a really hard stretch of years. And also, it's been hard for us too, I'm not giving an excuse but give us a little room to say, you know what, as a family, we need to reorient. And as your dad, or as your mom, I don't want you to be diminishing. I want to see you developing and growing. But only can we say that, parents, grandparents, (laughs) fellow travelers, adults, if we can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, as we embody it. So I just want to give capacity developers, a couple of them, to encourage us along, maybe to nudge us or kick us along, because there's much that diminishes our capacities. So I'm going to give you a couple because I think particularly most of us in here, our capacity to love God and love our neighbor is diminishing because of this. This is a tool. It's not evil. It's not wicked. But many of us, enamored with all that it could do and all that is at our fingertips, and there's amazing stuff, We don't realize it may become the master of us. And as master of us, it wants our attention, not, uh, it wants our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not toward God, but a little more scrolling, a little more commenting, a little more posting, a little more hostility. So, 
developing our capacities. Two things in that. First thing, this is the, a real simple one. I would encourage you this week to take love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The first thing you do in the morning, before your feet hit the floor or as your feet hit the floor, pray that, Lord, this is the day you made. I want to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. You can remember that now, even though we're also diminishing our capacity to remember stuff. And then at lunchtime, before you go out to that lunch appointment or you meet, meet your spouse somewhere, you just known on a PB&J, whatever, Lord, thank you for this day and what you provided for me. Let me love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. Even as I enjoy kale. And then the last thing before you go to bed, I'm inviting you to do the simplest of things. That is, God, I just want to reorient again. Throughout my day, I got busy, I got frenetic. I'm going to reorient. Don't feel guilty about the frenetic. Reorient. Give your attention to him and let your affections follow as God draws you. Second thing, it's, 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 I'm going to give you five options. You can make up your own option. Really, don't hear these as legalism. Hear these as maybe you should try this, okay? When it comes to this, make, some, make one change in your phone usage or your social media usage this week. I'll give you a couple of ways. Consider taking social media apps off of your phone. Why do I say that? It takes a lot more effort to open your laptop and have to go to it. I'm not saying it's wrong to have them on your phone. I'm just saying try it. Another one, don't look at your phone for the first two hours after you awake. Some of you may want to try that. Or some of you may be like, man, give it to me. Do a 24-hour phone or social media fast with one other friend. Or maybe a few of you might consider a digital detox. If you want more information on that, you can come talk to me. That's a longer stretch of time period, but here's what it is. If we fast from our phones, guess what? If we don't uh, reorient how we'll use our phones after it, we'll just fill it back up. Okay? Last one, um, give yourself an alternative. Um, every, every time you're like in a waiting room, you're getting your oil changed, you're just kind of like fidgety because you're waiting on your quarter pounder with cheese instead of pulling this out. Do an alternative. Sometimes you might have a crossword puzzle. Sometimes you might be able to say this verse. Um, sometimes you might actually interact with the person in the waiting room with you. Okay. Consider making one change and see what happens. But all within the context of, Lord, I want you to have more of me, more of my muchness. And then on the neighbor, we'll talk more about this with Luke, but one of these books that I've read... He wrote the TechWise family, but this is digging deeper because now we have more social science information. Now we have seen, the, he wrote TechWise family five years ago or more, which is a great book, I would encourage you. He's not against devices. He's got everyone you could think of, but he's like, I don't want them to be the master of me and my family. That's what that book's about. It's very practical. This has some practicality too, but he says, he calls it the life we're looking for chapter one, he talks about some of the things I talked about. Chapter two, guess what he talks about? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we are complex persons that God intended to be unified. And 
Um, in this, he shares a story about how he realized how fidgety he gets and then also how fidgety his kids get when they don't know what to do. They're in a situation they got to wait, so they fill the time. So he said, you know what? I'm in this airport. I got a layover for three hours, and I think it was O'Hare somewhere. And he just walked through terminal after terminal after terminal. And he said, you know what? I know the command is to love my neighbor. These people, I'm not going to have a relationship with most of them, but they were made in the image of God. Part of what can help us love our neighbor is to not see them as faceless. And so he did this. He walked from terminal to terminal. And he said, every person I walk by, I'm going to determine to look them in the eye. He wasn't weird like, you're made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God. He didn't do that. Okay, don't be creepy. But he said he walked by, and there was a mom who had one kid in the stroller and one kid trying to pull the other direction and probably was still trying to figure out where the third kid was in the airport. And he just said to himself, image bearer. And then he saw a security guy who'd spilled coffee on himself. I'm just making some of these descriptions up. But he just saw each person, he said, image bearer. He said, it didn't take long before I started to see people. If we're looking at this, it's really hard to see life, see our God, see ourselves as he sees us. Let me tell you, it's impossible to love your neighbor if you don't see them. It's easy to categorize them, caricature them, get hostile toward them. But let me tell you, when you look in the eye of that mom whose hair is messed up and the kid is pulling her and she's frantic because the other, and you say image bearer, the next thing you do is, by saying that, I'm internally giving her dig- the dignity God gave her. Just I'm, a, I'm attributing that or I'm recognizing it. And that might make me think, instead of going, why didn't she get out of the way? Her kids are everywhere and I can't get to my line, my Starbucks. And it can grow in us empathy, which is the ability to put yourself in others' shoes. I want for you that. to be able that some other person, you can start to see them. And eventually, you do see, and you do recognize, and you do say, I want to know. I want to understand. I want to be there for you. And as you do, you've said, you're a person. And guess what happens to you and me? The glue that holds our parts together which is the God who made us in his image, to represent him, to love him, and to love others with that spillover kind of love. We grow as persons. Most of you in here, you wouldn't have walked in thinking that we talk about, I think most of us are diminishing, but we are, aren't we? Jesus isn't guilt-tripping you and me. He's inviting us into that which is life indeed. Last thing. Sorry, I do this to you, Matthew. We're not going to sing at the end here. Um, on Friday, I went to Sharon King's uh, father's funeral, Ron Brodigan. Um, Pop B is what I would call him. I may be mispronouncing the last name. Um, 
and they were, they were thanking me for coming, and I said there was no place I would rather be this afternoon. And while I was in that funeral, I want you to think about this. When you get to the end of your life, are you going to be developing in your capacity to love God, love your neighbor? And are you helping those around you do that? Because you know where it really comes to bear, where, the, where it really comes to light of how we lived our lives is your funeral. And the whole time I was thinking, it was such a, I told him, such a blessing. He came to faith later in life, like a 25 years maybe, last 25 years. But what kept coming back to my mind was, it's more blessed to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Why? House of feasting is great. God's all about that. Enjoy life. But the house of mourning strips back all pretense, exposes all superficiality. And to hear the testimony of the four children talk about their dad and even talk about the difference as he came to know Christ as his Lord. And I think three or four times this hit me, and I'm like, all right, God, I I know one reason why you have me here. First, it was just to minister to my own soul, how grateful I was. Mike officiated a fantastic job. Sharon, I told her afterward, she was like, you know, thanks for coming. I was like, no, I I wouldn't have missed it. I wanted to know where you came from. And I was so blessed. But the thing that got repeated multiple times, and I love this, was that he would pray. He became a devout man of prayer. He became one who saw people and they felt seen. That he would end all of his prayers, no matter who they prayed for, or praying for the meal or whatever, he'd end. Um, and I wrote it down here. Bless us, Father. We love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. I pray that at the end of this day, you might pause and say, Bless us, Father. We love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And where we have shrunk our capacity, increase my capacity, because there's no greater joy than knowing you and loving you. Father, I'm grateful for these, this family. <laughs> I'm grateful for you. Um, over this year, there have been times personally when I've had that strange feeling of, of the kid in the book, the glue that holds my parts together isn't holding me, and at the same time feeling held by you, I'm just so grateful. <laughs> Thank you for reopening my own eyes over this past year. And I think that's the positive side of all the junk we've gone through the last couple of years, that you're teaching us we are human, that we do need you and we do need one another, and you're calling us to be whole persons not distracted persons, but people who lift our eyes to you, make much of you with our muchness, and then you open our eyes to see those right around us and those we come in contact with. Image bearer, image bearer, image bearer. I pray that many of us might even take the courage. We go grocery shopping this week, we stand in line at the DMV, whatever it is. We not get creepy, but we just walk by, and in our minds we, we think, image bearer, image bearer. And in that, Lord, may you have a little bit more of our hearts, so that more and more and more of our muchness, which is all do you, might squeak out 
And in the midst, you'll be glorified, but we'll be transformed and we'll be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. See you men Tuesday. Ladies, a little bit later.